Hello and welcome to Southside Church Podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. So we are in week three of a series called Where It Started. Um, living from our first love today, because so often where we start is pumped up, passionate, woo, and then halfway through we kind of get a bit caught up in the mundane rhythms and familiarity of something that was once this miraculous moment, and, and then it's kind of we plod along and lose sight of that first love moment. We're wanting to live from that first love moment today. We're not wanting it to just be a memory from one day, and so... I've struggled in this series because this series cannot be communicated and empower you by giving you five points to apply. In fact, that might take away from from what God is communicating when he calls us to our first love. And so we've kind of been holding this concept of returning to our first love and rather digesting the truth of what it's saying to us about God and about who we are. And so again today, I'm not going to give you five key points. In fact, I'm going to speak and try to give you some context for how you position yourself in the presence of God. And and then there are two songs we're going to engage with, and we're not going to sing songs like a sing-along. We're going to then intentionally, out of the context of the word, press into the presence of God, perhaps differently to the way we usually do or the way we default to as part of the process of exploring our first love and how we draw our hearts close to him instead of just feeding you information for the head. And um, yes, Siri, you heard my voice and someone's phone replied. So I wanna remind us and go back to some of what we've been learning. Out of the book of Revelation, chapter two, verse two to three, Jesus' words are recorded as he commends the church in Ephesus for its works. And he says these words. He says, I know your deeds. He says, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And we would hear those words and, and, and that commendation from God and feel like we're being good Christians, aren't we? I mean, he says they've been active in their deeds. He says they're working hard. They've persevered. They've discerned. They've endured. They've shown resilience. But then in verse four, Jesus continues and says, but I have this against you. I'm like, no ways. What would you have against me? I I did all that Christian stuff so well. And then he says, you've departed from your first love. So, So Jesus, when he told the church in Ephesus that they had lost their first love, was separating their intellectual knowing with which he commended their good deeds from their experiential knowing in relationship with him that he held against them. He's saying, you're doing all the deeds right because of what you know in your head, but you've lost sight of knowing me experientially from your heart. You've got so good at doing Christian because of what you've learned in your head, you've lost sight of your intimacy with me that comes from the heart. And we spoke about how losing our first love happens when our intellectual understanding of knowing about God 
begins to overtake our intimate experience of knowing in relationship with God. And often you will hear people when they share a testimony, yeah, well, well, let me tell you, this one time I like experienced God. I went into a church I didn't even expect it. And Grant, I'm telling you, this one time I felt the presence of God and I felt his love. And it was in that moment I gave my life to Jesus. And the testimony is always this one time I experienced God in a meaningful and intimate way. And then what tends to happen is the rest of our faith walk goes from this experience with God in relationship and becomes shaped more by the intellectual things we can learn about God. Oh, now that you're a Christian, (laughs) you can do that, you can't do that, and you must read the Bible because it says in the Bible you mustn't do that, and if you do do that, then that will happen. And then what happens is we take what started ultimately with an experience and intimacy. And we build our faith walk on what we can know about God intellectually. And then we get really good at doing what we must do because of what we've learned intellectually for God. And we become really good Christians that have drifted from Christ. We lose our first love when our intellectual understanding of knowing about God overtakes our intimate experience of knowing in relationship with God. And it's dangerous for us to allow our intellectual knowing of God dominate our faith walk because that very same place in which our intellect sits is the place from which the enemy attacks us. The enemy's weapons are lies and his target is your mind, the seat of your intellect. The enemy wants you to intellectually conclude that you're not a friend of God, but a foe, that you're not a son of God, but a slave. He goes, well, think about everything you've done. Well, think about that time you messed up so bad. Think about how far you've run from God. What, you think you can go back? Oh, isn't he too holy for you? And, and it's the mind that's driven by the attacks of the enemy. And, and that's because he understands the Old Testament words of Proverbs 23, 7 that tell us, for as a man thinks, so is he. The enemy can't keep you away from your intimacy with God, so he seeks to convince you to do it yourself by stealing your identity in Christ as a child of God. And we want to live our faith walk primarily out of an intellectual knowing. The intimacy of the heart is God's win. God's response to the loss of the Ephesian church's first love in Revelation chapter two is seen in verse five when he says, because you must return to me, I want you to start by remembering the heights from which you have fallen and repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, your sinful behavior, seek God's will and do the works you did at first when you first knew me. Jesus starts with the instruction to remember. Two weeks ago, we preached about the power of remembering. We spoke about the fact that when Jesus told us to remember the heights from which we have fallen, he wasn't wanting you to remember your failures since your first love was lost. He's wanting you to remember the depths from which you've been raised as his child because he first loved you. Oh my word. No matter how far I've fallen or how far I've run, look how deep the forgiveness of God goes because he first loved me before I could earn it. I can return without shame. That's why he says, remember. 
And this is why the New Testament book of 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Like he's saying, hey, he's saying, return to your first love because God first loved you. See, we go, return to your first love. Okay, Lord, I'm gonna return. Lord, I'm gonna start reading my Bible when I get home and I'm gonna, I'm gonna play worship on my way to work again and, and I'm not gonna swear anymore when I get angry, Lord, and I'm gonna go to church every Sunday in Jesus' name. And then you walk out and you fail because you thought your intellectual knowing was important. You didn't recognize it wasn't about earning God's approval. It was about accepting his invitation because long before you could earn his love, he loved you. Return to your first love because God first loved you. When a father holds his newborn child, he already loves her. The father doesn't need the child to earn his love. He's Gaga, mesmerized, looking at her for the first time, holding her in his hands. And later on in her life, she will love her father back because the father loved her as his child first. See, God first loved us because we are his sons and his daughters. That's how he sees us. He's like, you're my baby, you're my boy, you're my girl. Galatians 5 verse 7, it tells us, but when the time arrived that was set by God, the Father, God sent his son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father, doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave but a child? That's what he sees. And if you are a child, you are also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. You are seen by God as his child the same way a parent sees their own children. In that first love moment, my baby. It's interesting how often I've heard first-time parents describe the kind of love they experienced for their child in comparison to any love they had felt before, coming, before becoming a parent. A parent experiences this first love for their newborn. In that first moment, they meet and hold their baby. And, and it drives a parent to willingly lay down their lives for the safety of their beloved child. And that's why God so easily could lay his life down for us. Because when he sees you, he sees his baby boy and his baby girl. I experienced this kind of love when my sons were born. A first love. In fact, here's a picture, a photo I found the other day. Yes, I look like Prince Harry. I was much younger. <laughs> and and, um, and that, was, that was my first love moment with my firstborn son. Right there in that picture, the world disappeared, and all I saw was him 
I looked at his eyes and his face for the first time. I felt this love and this fight inside of me that you come near my child and I cut you. I'm like, this love I've never known until I saw you in that first love moment. And here's the crazy thing that switched inside of me. You see, I loved him. He couldn't love me. He didn't have the capacity. He could only surrender to the arms of my love. He couldn't like say, okay, sorry, dad. Let me go and do really well in rugby one day and then you can love me. I loved him so much. He would choose later to love me because I loved him first. That was my first love moment with my child. When I saw him, I I saw my baby boy. And here's the crazy thing. Every time I see him, I still see that. See, no matter how big and hairy he gets, no matter how many children of his own he may one day have, no matter how old he gets, no matter, matter whether he disappoints me or impresses me or makes mistakes or does everything right, this is still my little boy in that first love moment. I will embarrass him, and I often do. When this big guy with hairy legs walks out of the car and hears me say, I love you, my baby, because I'm his father, and every time I see him, I see that first love moment with my little boy. And this is the way God sees you too. No matter how far you've fallen, how far you've run, you can return into God's arms because he doesn't see you in your sin, but as his child through the sacrifice of his son. You're sitting here going, oh, well, God, you don't know me. Like, I remember how far I've fallen. I remember that one time I did this. And then I remember last night I stuffed up so bad. I said, I'll never do that again. I even told someone I wouldn't. And, and then I fell here. And then I ran so far from you that time. Remember like how distant we are. And you know right now I'm struggling with doubt. And, and he's just like, stop remembering how far you've fallen in shame and begin remembering how deep my forgiveness has gone in your fall. And you will understand you're my baby boy. No, I can't be your baby boy because you, I remember what I've done. And he's like, no, 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 you're my baby. And when I look at you, I see you the same way I did in that first love moment, my child. In the Old Testament book of Genesis, there was a woman who ran away and was called to return by God. Just the same way Jesus called the church in Ephesus to return to its first love. This woman's name was Hagar. Hagar's story is found in the Old Testament book of Genesis. She was Abraham's concubine and the mother of uh, his son Ishmael. She was purchased in Egypt, and she served as a maid to Abraham's barren wife, Sarah, who gave her to Abraham to conceive an heir. But when Hagar became pregnant, her humble attitude changed to one of arrogance, and Sarah began to treat her harshly, 
So she ran into the wilderness. And the Old Testament book of Genesis 16 verse 6 says, Abraham replied to his wife Sarah, Look, she is your servant, Hagar. So deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Hagar found herself being treated badly as though there was something wrong with her. She developed an attitude of arrogance over the fact that she could have a child and Sarah couldn't. And in the midst of this, she recognized that the pain was too much and she chose to run. Yeah, look what I've done. I've flipping become so arrogant and I can see it now. And the way Sarah treated me was clearly a reflection of the way I should see myself. I mean, I was brought in from Egypt. This is too painful. I'm just going to run. I'm getting out of here. And she started to run. From the land in which she was supposed to give birth to new life, she was now fleeing into the desolation of the wilderness, shamed by her arrogance and feeling worthless because of how Sarah had treated her. Here's the the thing is that sometimes God is inviting us to return home, not because we've unknowingly drifted like the church in Ephesus, but because we've intentionally run like Hagar. You found yourself somewhere and it's been a struggle and you decided to run. You didn't recognize that in running, you weren't just running away from the pain, but you're running away from the place in which God had planted you part of the work he was doing in your life. And when God called Hagar to return, it was because his promises for her life were going to be fulfilled in that place that she had run from, which was associated only with pain. Genesis chapter 16, 9, it says, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. God was calling her to return because the fullness of his promises was going to be manifest in the very place she was running from. You see, like Hagar, we sometimes run from the very places and people where our first love has placed us for the fulfillment of his promises in our lives. Perhaps for you, what started as a place of passion for God Connection with others and delight has begun to feel more like a place of duty with people you now criticize. But the root of this experience may be more about losing sight of how God sees you and depending more on how others see you and how you end up seeing yourself. You see, Hagar saw her self-worth through the way Sarah treated her. I'm worth a slave. I'm just used by her. And then when she gets what she wants, then she just throws me to the side. Hagar saw herself worth through the way Sarah treated her. So she ran from the very place her first love had planted her for the fulfillment of his promises. When other people's actions toward us become our first point of reference for our sense of self-worth, then our first love has become second. We end up defining ourselves by what others claim to see instead of what God sees. My baby boy, my girl. 
Don't run from the very places and people God puts in your life because you've depended more on the opinion of man than of your first love, God the Father. Now, even though Hagar ran, we read about how God called her to return. She was at a spring of water in the wilderness and the angel of the Lord told her to return home and said, I'm going to birth the fullness of my promise in the place you ran from. But I'm like sitting going, look, if I was Hagar, it wouldn't make sense to go back. I'd be like, stuff that, God, no, I'm staying here. It's fine, I'll have the baby, but I'm not going back to Sarah. Don't call me back to the place of pain. Don't take me back to the person that reflected my sense of self-worth as being less than that of a, a, someone that deserves to be in the household. Like, why would I return back? You know, even if you gave me the promise, that's all cool. You can do your promise somewhere else, but I'm not going back. There was something that inspired her enough and motivated her to go, God, I accept your invitation. Like, you're telling me to return I was running because I didn't want to be there. You're telling me to go back? There's no chance I'm just gonna go back because that's from where I must give birth and my descendants will exceed the, the, those I could count. There's no way. And, and we actually see the incentive in her response to the invitation from God after running. When in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13, it tells us that she answered after God called her. She answered God by name, praying to the God who spoke to her. You're the God who sees me. Uh, women, women aren't worried about your promises. They want to be seen. Men, we can learn. But What inspired her to return at God's invitation was the fact that God saw her. God, you see me. And, and it was weird because, because she had been seen by Sarah and treated harshly. Somehow, she had the deep revelation that unlike the way Sarah saw her, God saw her like this. My baby girl. I'm a slave. I'm a slave treated harshly by Sarah. I'm just being used. No, my, my girl, I see you. I see you, my baby girl. Really? Go, go back. Okay. When Hagar was running, God called her to return and she obeyed because he saw who she really was beyond her own sense of self defined by the way Sarah had treated her. We hear this thing, return to your first love, and we've heard sermons on this, and then guess what we do is we play keys like this, and we say, now everyone just in this prayer time, if that's you, come to the front. And, and then you're sitting in your seat, and you feel in your heart, yes, I've drifted from God. I want to be close to Him again. I want it to be like how it was in the memory of that moment I share in my testimony again. I want to know Him that way like a child without having to focus so much on getting all the intellectual stuff right. I want the experience of that love to drive everything else. And, and so you come to the front, crying and the keys are playing. And then while you're up front, someone prays for you and you walk away with a list of deeds you're going to do to get back to your first love. And then you get, you get commended like Jesus to the church in Ephesus. You have worked hard and been active in your deeds and you've been resilient and discerned, but I hold this one thing against you and you find yourself right back. 
See, we can't go there. I can't give you five keys. Spend more time in prayer. That's not going to work. Returning to our first love is more about the comprehension of who our God is and who we are in His sight. It's more about living in the presence of God differently every day and every moment of our lives rather than applying some religious repetitive behaviors as though that's what's going to do the trick. And so the returning to God, our first love, is something we don't do one day when we backslide. It's something we do every day. And we can return to our first love with joy when we see how God sees us in contrast to the way we so often see ourselves. It's every day getting over your sense that you've stuffed up so bad because of what you remember doing and instead remembering the depth of God's forgiveness no matter how far you've fallen that says to you, you can return home because I don't see you for the sin you remember in your fall. I see you for what my son did, making you my child. So come home, my boy. Come home, my baby girl. Like Hagar, God sees you and he gazes on you, even if you've been running. And he lovingly whispers every day when you wake up, Come home, my girl. Come home, my boy. See, you may see yourself through the memories of how far you've fallen from your first love. Or you may see yourself through the memories of how others have treated you like Hagar. But I, God the Father, see you from the depths of my forgiveness in our first love moment, my child, in our first love moment. See, we can confidently return as children to our first love because we were loved by our good father first. So where in your life have you been running from God? What places of pain have you been running away from and avoiding? Because it's those very places that God invites you to return. Not so that he can shame you for the pain, but so that he can fulfill his promises. And you can return with joy because God sees you as his baby boy and his baby girl in that first love moment.